Expert insight, clear analysis, strategy in action. Welcome to the CEO to CEO podcast, featuring the world's top CEOs. The podcast will welcome honest conversations meant to challenge traditional ways of thinking from fellow global industry leaders. This podcast will also explore the intricate world of M&A from an insider's perspective. M&A is a big deal, one in which you can drive the future of your business, your industry, and even the trajectory of the marketplace. This podcast is hosted by Kevin Campbell, CEO of Synity. Synity is a global enterprise data solution provider specializing in data operations and data transformation. Kevin is a global champion in data and has served as the former Group Chief Executive Officer at Accenture and COO of Oscar Insurance Corporation. This week, Kevin is joined by Michelle Adelman, founder of Asite, a boutique firm focused on building sustainable food and agriculture technology business in sub-Saharan Africa that spur economic diversification and employment of youth and women, enabling the continent to be more food secure. Ms. Adelman has 30 years of business experience as a formal global managing director for Accenture, CEO of a US-based home health services company and a group strategy executive for Pan-African Econet Group. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's CEO to CEO uh, podcast. Today, we're very fortunate to have on with us uh, Michelle Adelman. And uh, Michelle is uh, the, the CEO uh, of uh, an investment company and then co-founder and uh, CEO of a couple of uh, startups uh, in the plant-based foods area. So uh, super interesting career. I know Michelle from way back um, and, uh, and she's had a great journey along the way. So I'm super excited to have her on and to uh, talk about her journey. So welcome, Michelle. Thanks so much for having me. It's really great to be here. Um, how about if we start with, uh, we talk about your career journey. So tell everybody how you, you started uh, there and went through the Accenture career and, and so on. And then we, we can then bring us up to speed. So tell us, you know, yeah. how you got here along the way. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, I grew up in Western New York and went to Cornell um, and joined Accenture, you know, right out of college, moved to New York and had just a really, I had a great career, but I think also a very interesting career, a little bit different than the, you know, normal client partner path. Um, because I was a brand new partner. Actually, I think I officially was the last partner made before the IPO. Um, so I was, uh, I was a brand new partner in 2000 when the market crashed. So here you are, brand new partner. You're supposed to be out going up, drumming up business and the market is you know, dead, dead. So I had gotten involved with some internal strategy projects uh, that were all about how to fuel growth within the firm. And it was the birth of the BPO business, the acquisition strategy. And as a result of that, had a chance to get involved in the early, you know, early days of what is the Accenture BPO business. So I helped start the Accenture learning business. I did a lot of work with HR services, and then I rounded out my career running the market making team for Products North America, which is the largest business unit in the, in the group. Um, so it was, it was really exciting. And I think that's actually really where I got the entrepreneurial bug and certainly built the skill set that's allowing me to do what I'm doing today. And somewhere along the way, um, I went on vacation in Africa. 
And I ended up getting really involved with issues around orphan and vulnerable children and advocating for early childhood education and safe places for kids to be after school. And it started a foundation um, that I was kind of doing, you know, on the side, you know, when, when I had a chance. Um, I was then recruited away from Accenture to go work with a private equity firm um, and start a new healthcare company and, you know, successfully launched this new healthcare company from a blank sheet of paper in 18 months. And I think that's the point that I said, wait a minute. I really think I had this crisis of conscience. So I had, um, you know, I'd had this entrepreneurial experience. I was spending a lot of time working in Africa and seeing the issues with economic diversification and job creation, especially for women and for young people. And you know, I decided, you know, in a brilliant decision <laughs> that I would, you know, sell my apartment on Park Avenue, pack all my belongings in a shipping container, put my money where my mouth was and go start trying to build new businesses in particularly focused in Southern Africa, Botswana, South Africa, um, that would create employment for women in particular. Awesome. And an amazing journey that I've had a pleasure to watch uh, for some of it. And there's some great pictures of you uh, that you've got in your background there uh, with uh, a lot of different kids in a lot of different areas. So how did you get involved in the um, investing in Africa? And what what made you I remember you saying to me, you're investing and you're and I was like, you're doing what? <laughs> Yeah, well, I really took the, I mean, I think I, I took the lessons that I had learned in working with the private equity firm and I scaled it down to a little micro level, yeah. um, which was, I decided that I, what I really wanted to do is build businesses from scratch. So I wanted to look for inflection points in the market where there was really empty space. And I wanted to then develop an investment thesis, which was around using technology as a catalyst to create change, um, using sustainable technologies that weren't damaging the environment. A lot of the economy in economies across Africa are either driven by metals and mining and natural resources or by trade, right? You know, things aren't made. If you don't have clothes, you buy them from China. You don't have tomatoes, you buy them from South Africa. You don't have this, you buy it from there. Um, versus saying, well, actually, why don't we grow our fresh produce? Why don't we um, actually make things here. And so that was, um, that was the, the backdrop of, of Excite. It was really something I was only planning to do for a couple of years, you know, and fast forward eight years later, you know, I'm still at it, um, constantly incubating and building new businesses and, um, you know, frankly, having a lot of fun. That's awesome. Uh, talk about the, uh, so you talked about inflection points. So talk about, you know, how you've started the first businesses and pick any one of them that you want to talk about. Yeah, I mean, I can talk a little bit about GoFresh and then I'll probably talk about plant, uh, about Infinite because I think that's the one that's probably most exciting for people. But I think GoFresh is the same thing. You know, when I was in the US, you were starting to see all of this emergence of, of um, hydroponic farms and urban farming, you know, players like Gotham Greens that was building, you know, greenhouses on the rooftops in New York City. And now when we go into our grocery store, when we look at the lettuce aisle, like it's all full of, you know, lettuce and greens that are being built in greenhouses. But 
you know, I would be in Botswana, which is a small country in Southern Africa, kind of sandwiched in between South Africa, Zimbabwe, Zambia, Namibia, and 90% of the food was being imported. And I said, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, we have the technology, you know, we have the technology to do this. And so um, that's basically what we did. We put together a best of breed technology solution. We bought a farm. We've actually bought two farms um, and, you know, built a team and um, built this business from scratch and became the biggest brand of fresh produce uh, in the country. Um, so that's, that's what we did with GoFresh. Um, and we're now actually in the process of divesting that business. So it's been running for five years and now it's at the point where it's time to turn it over to local citizen investors. So it can be run by Botswana for Botswana. So let, um, let's just dig into that for a little bit though. How, when you wanna learn about that, right? So you had this idea, you know, hey, we let's grow our own. How did you learn about that, right? And how did you start have you heard about Dr. Google? <laughs> no, I actually went out and I, you know, I did a lot of research. So I went out, I visited a bunch of best practice greenhouses in the US and Europe, um, really tried to learn what the best in class technology is. But for me, the magic is taking that technology and really localizing it in the local context, right? So that's where the magic happens in creating these new businesses. The technology works, right? I mean, yeah. hydroponic technology, greenhouse technology, it works in New York City, it works in Spain, it works in Israel. It was gonna work in Botswana. The question was, how did we localize the implementation and the business model so that it worked in our context? How did we staff this thing, right? I mean, the education system isn't very good. There's not a lot of you know, agricultural engineers or young experienced farmers running around. So we had to come up with a training program to hire them from college and build them, you know, build them up from scratch. We had to go create new types of relationships with the buyers, the fresh produce buyers, um, and create that kind of win-win relationship. And we had to build a brand, which, you know, everybody's like, nobody ever thought about building a brand around food and around lettuce and fresh produce and tomatoes. And we invested to actually build this brand. So the idea of having fresh produce in the country was cool, it was sexy, it was youth enabled, and it was very visible. And talk to me about building the people. What, I mean, so you've built teams, you know, I'm very familiar with back at the Accenture days and you always were great at building, putting good people around you and stuff. How do you do that, you know, in what most people think is a third world country today? Yeah, it's, it's actually a lot of work. And it's the one thing that I think really holds Africa back the most um, in terms of being able to realize its potential. And part of it is at the, this basic education level. So it starts back with the work that we try to do with the foundation, which is getting kids in school at an earlier age, keeping them in school um, by having them have safe places to be after school and to get support for their homework. And you know, for those who can graduate from high school or get certificates or get into college. Um, so it's difficult because you're starting with uh, a labor pool that is not nearly as well educated as you know the kind of labor that we had access to and the people we had access to at Accenture or really any US-based startup. Um, and so we've had to come up with a system. I, I decided along the way through a little trial and error that we would really hire these young people, at least the leadership team directly from the agricultural university. 
and train them from scratch. So it was very much the Accenture sheep dipping model. Um, and, it, and it worked. And we've been able to take um, young people, teach them the skills, and literally build a cadre of young people who now know how to run and operate these greenhouses. So what was next on the journey as far as, you know, obviously you're growing that, but then, you know, did, did you, it was Infinite Foods next? On yeah, the so Infinite Foods was next. So um, I always, you know, things in Africa move kind of slowly sometimes. So I always seem to have three businesses going at some stage. Um, so, you know, in this case, you know, GoFresh is now matured and it's time to divest it out to citizen investors. Infinite Foods is growing and then Crossover Meats is, you know, incubating right behind it. So Infinite Foods is really interesting because it actually came out of a, a trip that I had to China um, to go to a food safety and security conference. And there, this was back in 2015. And there was this company called Impossible Foods, and it was talking about making hamburger out of plants. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, now everybody, you know, it's all the rage now, but think about that first time that you heard somebody say, well, I'm just, we're going to make hamburgers out of plants. And you're thinking to yourself, like, that's absurd. Like, why would you ever want to do that? But when you dig into what is the environmental impact of the industrialized agricultural system that we now live in, um, what is the health of the food that we eat? Um, not only, you know, it's not even an argument of, you know, is meat or plant-based food better for you from a health perspective, but, you know, the factory farming system that we now have that, that delivers our meat and dairy is so chock full of growth hormones and antibiotics and all sorts of nasty stuff. And I've, I've been in the slaughterhouses, so I know. Um, but anyway, in the context of China, you say, well, if it takes, um, you know, 80% less natural resources to make a hamburger out of plants by directly converting, you know, plants into human calories. But if you put it through a cow, it's going to take seven pounds of plants to create one pound of human calories. And if you're in a country like China, where there's a billion people and only 10% of your land is arable, then the light bulbs start going off and you say, wait a minute, by going to plant-based foods, we can be much, much more efficient in our calorie production, in our food production system. And that's really where it started. Um, and then as I learned more and more and studied the science behind the health benefits of a plant-based diet um, you know, on lifestyle diseases, on heart disease, on diabetes, on certain types of cancer, um, it really sold me um, on that plant-based food was the wave of the future. So I actually wrote this business plan um, literally that year, and it was just way, way too early. You know, the following year, Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat put their first commercial product into the marketplace, and nobody was thinking about how are we going to take this food to Africa. But for me, if you look at the food security problem of 2050 that everybody's talking about, which is, you know, we're going to have 10 billion people on the planet. And if we continue to try to produce the food the way we produce it now, we literally don't have enough air and water to make that happen. So something's got to change. Um, that pressure is not being driven really from the US and Europe. Um, yes, we're big per capita protein consumers, but we're not really growing as population and in consumption. But Africa and South Asia is really where populations are exploding. People are moving into the middle class per capita consumption of meat and dairy products is increasing. And that's, that is gonna be where the big stress of the food system is. And so 
you know, I, I said, what we can do with Infinite Foods is create this platform where the best in class brands like Beyond Meat and Oatly and Just can get to the African consumer, a billion African untapped consumers that nobody really knows and it's not on the radar screen about how to get to. Um, and, that's, and that's the impetus behind Infinite Foods. And so is Infinite Foods a distributor largely? Yeah, so we have we have a platform. Um, so it's definitely more than distribution. Okay. So what we do is we provide an end-to-end -end service for our brands. So we start all the way from we'll pick up the product at your factory okay. through all of the regulatory steps, all the import distribution, and we have direct salespeople and feed on the street and localized marketing resources to get the product to the consumer. Um, we're also working on things like ingredient sourcing in Africa. So for example, 55% of the world's cashews are grown in Africa. And a lot of these plant-based dairy products are made out of cashew. So we're trying to connect local cashew producers with the plant-based food industry. And then we're incubating local manufacturing opportunities. So we're working with small local brands, for example, in South Africa, to try to help them scale up, help them compete, and help create a manufacturing hub for plant-based foods in Africa. So it's it's certainly starting with the distribution aspect, and um, you know we work with the seven category leading brands, um, but uh, we have a much bigger vision around what we're trying to accomplish, which would really allow Africa to leapfrog um, to a sustainable and plant-forward food system. So all entrepreneurs, you know, have an idea, have a drive and are willing to keep drive, keep looking. Fundraising is a big part of that. How have you gone about your fundraising uh, and how does that all connect back to Excite? Yeah, so fundraising is really a challenge for the types of things I do, because, you know, when you start running around and telling people you're going to build greenhouses in the desert in Botswana or you're going to be, you know, the leading um, you know, platform for plant-based food in Africa, you know, people look at you like you're a little strange. Um, so I have been both blessed, a little lucky um, in this regard, um, in that I've been able to privately fund uh, a lot of these startups. I've also had quite a bit of support from the local banks. Mm -hmm. um, so we've been able to capitalize on local financing that's available uh, to be able to complement that equity. And we've really built the beginning parts of these businesses from scratch with private funds to prove the point, you know, basically to prove the case and then, you know, raising, raising funds to take them to the next level. So, you know, right now we're in a fundraising round for Infinite Foods, right? We've been operating for two and a half years. We've been able to demonstrate 300% year over year growth. So we're now in a much better position to be um, raising third-party funds than we were two years ago. So how does a, um, a white girl from New York uh, end up, you know, in Africa raising money from the, the banks that are down there? Did they, did they look at you as strange when you first came there, an anomaly? Or, you know, were people interested in learning more about, you know, uh, importing ideas from uh, from the U.S. Well, I think it was a little bit of both. Um, I think one of the things, especially as an American operating in Southern Africa, um, it's very unusual, and it's very unusual for a, for a white woman to be running around by themselves, um, uh, you know, doing these types of things. 
I think my luck with the banks really came from my experience and my credentials, right? I mean, I can walk in and talk banker talk, right? Like I know what they're looking for in, in a deal. I know what they're looking for in terms of documentation and financials and proof points. And I was able to come to them with a very credible story um, and a very, you know, what appeared to be a, you know, a managed risk investment. Um, you know, in some ways I'm a little confusing because um, I, I don't fit anybody's stereotype. I'm not Dutch, I'm not German, I'm not a man. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that throws people off guard a bit. So I clearly know something about what the heck I'm doing. And so I end up getting a lot of, I find that I get a lot of latitude because of that. And I certainly take advantage of it. Ah, that's great. Well, you're determined, you've always been determined. And so I think that probably you got to give yourself a lot of credit for continued determination and continued pushing uh, of all of that. How have you built, I mean, you've got an amazing network of people. How have you built that network? Because, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs and CEOs say to me, you know, one, CEO is a lonely job. And two, you know, where do I find friends and how do I build the network that I have? So tell us a little bit about how you've built your network. Um, you know, I, I've leveraged a lot on my, on my past and on my history, but I've also worked really hard to stay in touch with people. Um, and I feel like I've built strong relationships with my teams, um, you know, with my bosses, with my peers, as I've gone through my career. And, and I draw a lot on those resources. Um, I, I did spend a little bit of time, for example, uh, working for Econet Group, which is a Pan-African telecoms player. Um, running their strategy and, and had, a CEO, uh, had a CEO that was working with me at the time who had left and gone on, but you know, we stayed in touch. And um, you know, I was able to recruit him to come back to join me to, to run uh, our global operations for Infinite Foods. So, I mean, once I, one time told, somebody told me, a venture capitalist told me that the number one thing that they look for in entrepreneurs and CEOs is their ability to recruit talent. And apparently I can be very convincing. So <laughs> I, I think there's no, there's no doubt about that. Um, have, do you, is yours all focused on organic growth or do you consider M&A or I know you, you're talking now about, you know, returning uh, go fresh to kind of more local investors, but is M&A part of what you think about or not really part of the strategy? Well, in particular, particularly for Infinite Foods, it's part of our strategy. So we have as part of this bigger platform, what we call our affiliate program. So the affiliates are um, small local brands. Right now, the program is very focused in South Africa, but eventually we will branch it out into you know, Mauritius, Kenya, Ghana, and our other locations. Um, but what we're trying to do there is we are trying to incubate these companies Part of the way that we can help them be successful is we plug them into our distribution platform, but we're also then helping provide business infrastructure and incubation, um, as well as ultimately a, a private equity um, fund that will help give them the capital that they need, which we are pretty confident we know how to achieve because we know how to distribute the product. So we will be looking at some acquisitions and some equity building through working with the affiliates. Uh, but right now we're really focused on some hyper um, organic growth over the next couple of years. And then we'll start uh, working through our exit strategy. Great, how about give us a few minutes on your, uh, your latest brainchild 
or your latest baby you're growing crossover meats? Crossover meats. Yeah. So crossover meats is like, you know, it's like the mistake child. You don't really want to be starting another company when you're in the middle of all of this, but it was one of those technologies that I just couldn't pass up. So I had an opportunity to meet a Stanford professor who had been working in the same lab where the technology behind Impossible Foods came. So it was all around studying the molecular makeup of meat and understanding, you know, why does meat taste, cook, behave, have the nutrition that it has. And Impossible obviously took that, that body of research and went off and created a hamburger made out of plants. Um, but this scientist said, hey, wait a minute, you know, there's got to be an easier way to do this because we're not going to convince the whole world to go plant-based. And we're certainly not going to change the world when a plant-based hamburger is, you know, two, three times more expensive than a regular hamburger. So can't we look at this technology in a different way? And what he did is came up with a process where you can use chicken as the primary protein in a hamburger. And so what you end up with is a hamburger that really does taste exactly like a hamburger um, because all we're doing is swapping the chicken lean protein for beef lean protein, but putting all the other elements that make a hamburger taste like a hamburger in there. Um, all natural process, um, you know, by the, by the USDA. Um, but the magic is that this product is, has 50% less of an environmental impact because chicken is much more friendly to the environment than um, beef or pork or lamb. So you get a lot of the benefits of the plant-based uh, food in on the environmental side, but the product is actually 20 to 30% cheaper depending on what product you're in. So or what market you're in. So you're able to deliver an affordable protein that is more gentle on the environment and do that in an all natural way that's not highly processed. And so again, thinking of when I had the opportunity to meet the scientist and, and hear um, the story sitting in the seat that I sit in, right, which is in Africa, focused on emerging markets. And I look at the population, you look at the growth, look at how hard it is to change people's behavior. I thought that this would be a great company to build that would complement what we were doing in Infinite Foods, which is really trying to drive the plant-based movement to say, look, in the, in the meantime, while we're convincing everybody to become plant-based and while we're working to try to get the price of the products to come down so they're affordable, we can provide a more environmentally friendly alternative to people that is affordable to enable them to get the protein that they need at an affordable price. And so when will we see crossover meats or any of their products in the US? Um, I'm hoping in the next quarter. So oh. we had um, put the business a little bit into mothballs during COVID. So it was obviously very, very difficult to go out and sell and secure new retail and food service contracts um, you know, during the pandemic. So we did take the hard decision to, to, to just put it on air and oxygen until we had gotten through the pandemic. And then we've uh, kicked back up the sales team and um, you know, I'm hoping to have some good news here uh, going into next quarter. Awesome. Hey, one of the themes that we're always uh, working and talking about and questions I always ask CEOs that I have on are who are your mentors along the way? And how do you, you know, you talked a little bit about your connector and you keep going at, in touch with people and stuff, but how do you, you know, get those mentors going and who have been some of your influential mentors? Yeah. 
Um, you know, I, I was really blessed. You know, I had really great mentors, um, you know, at Accenture and, you know, I still keep in touch with Tom Pike and Jim Franco and Craig Gray. And, you know, I think one of the things that those mentors did for me, and it's, it's interesting to listen to your podcast because so many ex-Accenture people talk about the best advice they got was to stay where they were. Yeah. Um, and in many ways, I think what was really cool about my mentors is that they said, it's time for you to fly the coop, right? And, and they said, you know, when I was starting to get that entrepreneurial itch and say, look, I really want to make a difference. I really want to do something different. I want to be more hands-on entrepreneurial. Um, they were the ones that said, here, let us lift you up. Let us, let us help you fly. And, um, you know, I'm really grateful for that because, you know, they gave me the freedom to, um, you know, go off and do these crazy things, which have been incredibly rewarding. Um, and, and I work, you know, again, when you're overseas, you just have to work extra hard to stay in touch with people and to, you know, tap into those networks and, and, and to reach out for help. And do you ever see yourself returning to the U.S. or do you think you'll live in Africa or other countries the rest of your life? It's a hard question. <laughs> um, I think I will be spending at least a portion of my time, you know, overseas for the foreseeable future. Um, I do hope to get a little bit more balance. Um, you know, the last couple of years have been very, um, you know, overseas centric. I've been in Africa, I've been in South Asia full time. Certainly during the pandemic, we were locked down. I was actually locked down on the farm in the northern part of Botswana in the middle of nowhere for seven months. You know, country closed, no flights going in and out, impossible to actually leave. Um, but I'd like to strike a little bit better balance and be able to spend about half of my time in the US and half of my time overseas. I mean, I think the thing for me is when you've had an opportunity to work in markets like Africa, you see the need of, of people who have so much less than what we have. Um, you know, when you work side by side with farmers that are working, you know, getting a, you know, making a dollar a day or $3 a day, um, and you see what they do to raise their families and educate their kids and keep shoes on their feet and school books in their bags. Um, it really um, changes your perspective on the impact that you can make, the positive impact that you can make on the world. And I think I would have a really hard time coming back and being very US me centric um, after having gone through that experience. Michelle Edelman, thank you for being on today. Uh, you, you've got an incredible story. Um, I don't mind saying I'm super proud of you from uh, where you've come and all the stuff that you've been able to accomplish. And I do get to watch, you know, through Facebook and LinkedIn, uh, your journeys. Uh, I did watch your, you know, week three lockdown on the farm and stuff. <laughs> wondering, will she ever get back? Right. So it's, it's good to see you here and glad I, you got to see your family and thanks for uh, sharing some of your experience with our audience. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I hope that, uh, you know, maybe somebody took a little inspiration to, uh, you know, stretch their thinking, give back to others. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn. If anybody wants to reach out and, and connect up with what we're doing, um, uh, you know, love, love to network. And all the web, what are the websites? If anybody wants to go look at those. So Infinite Foods is infinitefoods.com. Crossover Meats is crossovermeats.com. And GoFresh uh, is gofresh.farm. So farm. those are our those are our handles.
Yeah. And what about Excite if they want to find out? Is, uh, exciteholdings.com. Okay. Uh, amazing. So thanks again for being on. And uh, everybody, thanks for joining us today. And hopefully uh, you got some, uh, some new ideas or different perspectives. And for those of you that are future entrepreneurs, um, hopefully, as Michelle said, somebody will help you lift up and fly in the future. So tune in in our next podcast. And uh, everybody have a good rest of your day or night, wherever you are. Take care. Thank you for joining the CEO to CEO podcast. Join us next time as we uncover data strategies to support mergers, acquisitions, divestitures with the world's top CEOs.